Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Just before Christmas, we released an episode looking at the debate occurring in the Welsh Labour Party concerning independence. Building on from that episode, we are delighted to share with you this event, organised by the World Transformed and Cardiff and Vale Momentum. Welcome. This debate today we're going to be looking at, is there a left case for Welsh independence? Hosted by Momentum, Cardiff and the Vale WLG, Momentum National and the World Transformed. To put this debate in context, Welsh identity has been long contested. Welsh historians have furiously debated the different features of Welsh identity and questioning what unites Wales. We today find ourselves asking very similar questions with the rise of the Welsh Indie movement. What is the future of Wales? What does the independence movement and the current contradictions and antagonisms with the British state mean for those of us who are socialists? We shall try to explore some of that tonight. No mean feat, might I add. This is a very exciting event. This is the first time that Momentum has tried to look at the issue of the constitution and the future of the United Kingdom. Just so you know, the format of the event, what's going to happen is there's going to be two minute opening speeches and then we're going to put questions to the panel. Tonight we're going to be joined by, uh, first of all, Mick Antonew, member of the Senate for Pontypridd. Then Ben Gwalchmai, writer, activist and founder of Labour for an Indie Wales. Madhu Kahana Davis, campaigner to save her local library and all round beautiful soul. Kat Boyd, the famed Scottish independence activist and co-founder of the Radical Independence Campaign. And Mike Hedges, member of Assembly for Swansea East. So I'm going to give you all two minutes to introduce yourselves. Mick first. Good evening, comrades. I believe we're in a process of political change and movement. And in global capitalism across the world, identity is an increasingly important component of class consciousness and empowerment. Raymond Williams, a, a well-known Welsh writer and socialist, wrote some time ago, in Scotland and Wales, we are beginning to find ways of expressing two kinds of impulse that are in fact very widely experienced throughout British society. First, we're trying to declare an identity to discover in fact, what we have in common. And secondly, related to this, we're trying to discover political processes by which people really can govern themselves. That is, determine the use of their own energies and resources as distinct from being governed by an increasingly centralised, increasingly remote and also increasingly penetrating system, the system for th that those who run it for their own interests have decided to call unity. So for me as a socialist, there are four key points. Socialism is about empowering empowering people and communities in decision-making processes and about the decentralization of power. It is also about the right to self-determination and it's a fundamental socialist principle. We also cannot change our democracy without greater equality and redistribution of wealth at the core. And we must share our common interests with working people across the UK and internationally. One of the great difficulties in this debate is when we use terms like independence, empowerment, federalism, nationalism, socialism, class, we're often talking about these terms loosely without identifying what we're actually talking about. And that means we have difficulty in identifying the common ground that exists between us, which I think is essential if we're to achieve progressive change and win hearts and minds of those who matter, that is the people of Wales. So I and others have tried to embody those principles in a series of papers we're publishing to contribute to this debate. And the first of these is We the People, the Case for Radical Federalism. Thank you, Mick. I'm going to move on to Ben. Um, is there a case for Welsh independence on the left? Yes, I could end my answer there. I'd rather ask, is there a left case for the UK? Is there a left case for monarchy, neoliberalism, corruption on a massive scale, imperialism and embedded class privilege? That's what the UK is, isn't it? Last week, our first minister here said the current union is over. The week before that, he admitted that, to Gito Harry, that is, he admitted that he cannot promise a federal UK to Welsh voters. The last 40 years show that inequality is rising exponentially in Britain. A lot of older politicians like to say Britain is an engine for redistribution. Well, I'd like to see them tell that to the 40% of Welsh kids that currently live in poverty. Or to the people who used to live in the villages of Llanuddin, Epint and Truerin. The Tax Justice Network in 2019 proved that London extracts wealth 
it doesn't redistribute. In 2023, Wales will lose eight of its MPs, lessening our democratic voice further. Wales hasn't voted for a Conservative government in over a hundred years, and yet has suffered Tory governments for roughly 75% of that time. The first-past-the-post system that requires Labour to get a majority in England before any other countries in order to win is antithetical to socialism, to federalism, and to electing Labour. There is no left case for the UK today. So we have to make sure that the left leads the new Wales now being born in independence. Thanks, Ben. I'm going to hand over to Madhu next. Go ahead, Madhu. Thank you, Harriet. And um, everything Ben just said, plus I believe that self-determination would be a progressive step in our nation's history. It would provide us with the opportunity to shape our future anew, whilst at the same time addressing the social and economic injustices that have held our people and our nation back for so long. But independence is not an end in itself. And the post-independence plan is just as important as achieving independence. Because in shaping the new Wales, many interests will clash as each tries to ensure that it is their agenda which most influences our constitution and the state apparatus. And it is because of this that I feel that it is absolutely essential that the left has a case for Welsh independence, because then our new nation can be governed in the interests of the many and not the few. Thanks, Madhu. I'm going to go over to Kat now. Kat, would you like to join? Thanks, Harriet. I noticed that a few people have already spoken about Welsh identity, and I'm sure that's a question that's just as complicated as Scottish identity is. Um, I've never really felt Scottish. I come from a, a Irish Catholic background in Scotland, and if you know anything about Irish Catholic immigrants in Scotland, is a group often persecuted in Scottish society. Historically, the links between Scottish nationalism and um, anti-Irish um, activity was was a link and the Irish community in Scotland never gave Scottish independence a second look so it's pretty interesting these days when you look at the polls on um, independence in Scotland when you look at which areas of Scotland voted yes in the 2014 referendum overwhelmingly those from an Irish background overwhelmingly those from a working class community because independence for people in Scotland it wasn't about being Scottish it wasn't about the SNP and it wasn't about Alex Salmond. It was nothing to do with Braveheart or flags. It was a revolt against the alienation that the neoliberal system has brought upon us all. So I founded the co-founded rather the Radical Independence Campaign, or RIC as I call it, um, in 2012 to campaign for a yes vote. Now, the reason we started Radical Independence is because, in all honesty, the official mainstream centrist Yes Scotland campaign could not tell that complicated story about Scotland that needed to be told. The one about Irish immigrants, about conflicting, clashing forces, imperialists versus internationalists, trade unionists versus Tory traitors, you know, we, those conflicting clashing forces that make a nation. We said really clearly that independence was a class issue and it was the rich that were voting no. We were all sick of the goddamn meaningless choices offered to us by Westminster, Labour, Tory, just the same. This was in a day where it was almost completely taboo to be anti-austerity and anti-trident on a national scale until you know Jeremy Corbyn came along and broke those taboos on a national scale, I say that in scare quotes. For us, we wanted to repeal the anti-trade union laws in an independent Scotland, nationalise major industries, create a humane social security system and get rid of Trident. No nuclear weapons, 
in an independent Scotland. That was our key demands. And we took them out into those working class communities and particularly the central belt and the deprived Highland communities. And we talked to people on their doorsteps about these issues. And that was the real lasting power of the radical independence campaign because independence alone was never going to be enough. Now we're in a different situation in Scotland now, we've got a different future to look to, but I hope that tonight maybe I can bring some of my lessons and experience from that time campaigning for a yes vote in, in 2014. So thanks very much for inviting me. Thanks Kat. I'm gonna hand over to Mike. Neil, over the last 50 years, new countries have been formed, including the following of the breakup of the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia and the splitting of Czechoslovakia and Sudan. We have also seen unification of Vietnam and Germany. In population, Wales would be in 137 between Mongolia and Uruguay. Of course, 50 years ago, local government controlled water and sewerage, further education, higher education at the university, and directly controlled schools, amongst many other things. Despite what has been said, about the European Union, Wales overwhelmingly largest market is England for both goods and services. Independence means our own central bank, our own currency, and the words European Union withdrawal campaign, our own borders. Uh, we have lots of civil service jobs, including Swansea, the DBLA. Wales has 32,000 civil service jobs compared to 332,000 in England, which is by much higher proportion of our population, probably twice as much. Wales gets funded about 105% of England, but raised only between 70 and 80% per capita income. There will need to be either to be substantial cuts or substantial tax increases to, uh, to deal with those two. We would also need a free trade agreement with the rest of, the, of, of Britain, and European negotiations have shown how detailed that can be. That's why I support Devo Max and movement of symmetrical devolution, including the English regions. A model of England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland cannot work because England takes its, what, 75, 80% of the total. Now, the obvious areas that need to be held centrally, things like defence, foreign affairs, but there are also lots of things outside that which ought to be devolved. And there's been opposition to devolution. I mean, if you look at places like United States of America, Australia, Canada, they have things which are dealt with by states and things which are dealt with centrally. We need to have that sorted out with us. Devolution in Wales should not mean sending it to Cardiff. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Scotland, they've got one police force, they'll have one, one or almost everything without thinking about what the difference is. Wales has a lot of differences. I'm in favour, very much so, of devolution within Wales, not just send everything to Cardiff. Finally, take policing. Security needs to be held centrally at Westminster. Serious crimes at Cardiff, but with local policing, return to local authorities. We need to put things where they work best. And we, moving things from, from London to Cardiff, for many of my constituents, makes very little difference. What we need things to be dealt with as locally as possible. Fantastic. So I'm going to pose you some questions now, folks. Um, the first question I'm going to pose to everyone is, what does a socialist Wales look like? I haven't got all of the answers um, to this. I don't think anybody has, but um, it's more like a wish list, okay? And for me, what a socialist Wales would look like would be very different from what the British state looks like. I feel that, you know, we have this opportunity to bring about a radical change by having a different structure, one which isn't um, rooted in quasi-feudal and elitist uh, UK system of having an, a hereditary head of state, an unelected second chamber in the House of Lords, and for me, a really good basis for socialist politics is an egalitarian society, and I think that our political system in the UK, as we have it, is utterly opposed to then extending equality out into wider society. And for me, how we structure our future Wales by being so much more democratically, um, uh, you know, our institutions, you know, having an elected head of state, for instance, that would be absolute fundamental, that difference. And for me, I wish to see 
an egalitarian society, one where we can begin to see poverty eradicated, homelessness eradicated, that we begin to live in a peaceful nation. And we, we need to avoid centralisation, but we would need to avoid that in our new Welsh state as well. We would really need to ensure that we take democracy out further to the people and have a, a better participatory democracy to ensure that we have a fairer society. Okay, listen, a really important but fundamental question, one that can't be answered shortly. I'll just say what I think are some of the indicators, because I think they're some of the things that we are beginning to do within Wales, but need to go much, much further. I, I think one of the indicators is cooperativism mutualism in terms of things you know the fact that Welsh Water uh, maybe not the most ideal but it is still a not-for-profit company and where I think the not-for-profit the cooperative mutual model is important De decentralization just creating parliaments whether Edinburgh Cardiff London or whatever uh, that emulate one another is no longer sufficient we have to decentralize further power and I think increase the role of devolved uh, local government Public ownership. We've started doing this with the airport. We still have to do it with the railways. And now that we own and we run services for the benefit of society, integrated transport, fair work and social partnership. And we'll be having the bill coming from the Senate, Labour Senate soon, uh, on social partnership, uh, procurement, collective bargaining, restoring the voice of workers uh, within industry, Future Generations Act, giving it more teeth. And I think some of the measures will be around the issues of equality in health and education, real issues. Redistribution of wealth, and this is an issue that does actually transcend across Wales uh, and to the regions of England as well. Environmental policy preeminence, the green economy at the core. Those are some of the measures. And also, let me just say this, shared common interest with the communities and regions in England, Scotland and Northern Ireland, because there are mutual interests that we cannot ignore and we have to develop. And then finally, international engagement and cooperation. Wales has got to develop its international voice and identity, uh, and that is already underway, I think. To me, a socialist Wales has a universal basic income, something the UK government voted against at the beginning of this pandemic. It also means that no child goes hungry and no one goes without somewhere to live. Finland has done it, so why cannot we? Well, that's actually because we don't control 90% of our economic levers here in Wales. Westminster does and tells us what we can do and how much money we have in many different ways. Though the Welsh government controls where it spends, it doesn't control all our tax base, nor the economic levers of borrowing and spending in the fullest possible sense. A Socialist Wales, to me, also has a green jobs guarantee programme that means we can beat the climate change targets currently set to 2050, which is far too late. It also has a welcoming immigration policy that ensures we're truly a nation of sanctuary in action, not just words, and doesn't mean someone like Priti Patel putting up barbed wire in the sea. Or indeed, Ed Miliband's controls on immigration mugs uh, being a prominent part of an election. Also, quick list, uh, Socialist Wales to me, recreational drugs are legalised, standardised and taxed to keep people safe. Sex work is decriminalised in line with the wishes of sex workers. Devolution goes beyond Cardiff, I agree with the other speakers on that, absolutely. It ends the landlordism that is so rampant across both our parliaments. It personally, I'd love to see cheap access for all to bathhouses that used to, 200 years ago here in Cymru, be so common. Uh, if you look anywhere that ends in the name Wells, like Llandrindod Wells, Bilth Wells, they could have had a bathhouse and we could have that too. Finally, uh, it also guarantees planet over profit, people over profit in a written constitution. Now, here's the problem. And it's also part of the same final point. Only independence will give us those things. The UK state is antithetical to all of the above. Only independence will deliver those things for us. Gil. Um, you might think it's uh, really cheeky of me to comment on uh, what a socialist Wales would look like, because um, obviously I'm not Welsh, but I am a socialist. And whilst in the abstract, socialism, you know, is about ownership and control of resources and these things that have been listed. But for me, I've al always felt that 
true socialism has to be in some way informed by a Republican sensibility. And that must also involve the shared ownership and control of state power. So I think for me, a socialist Wales, like a socialist Scotland, needs to involve the popular sovereignty of the Welsh people and have respect for the sovereignty of other nations. And long term, I cannot see the British state fulfilling any of that. As someone like Jeremy Corbyn discovered that even if you're a lifelong pacifist and anti-imperialist, you can't stop the Labour Party regressing to the British state's role as servant of American imperial power. A socialist Wales shouldn't involve any of this. That's why I can't see it happening inside Britain. The institutions of British state power, and this is really the crux of it, are not amenable to popular sovereignty. The election system systematically disenfranchises working class voters. That's what produces the democratic deficit that someone else has already touched on. Foreign policy institutions and decisions go uncontested by the mainstream Westminster parties. Anachronisms like the House of Lords and the Windsors per persist without serious debate. And these are the parts of the state that you can't just vote away. All of that confines popular control over the state and it empowers the elites. Now, maybe when Scotland goes independent, and perhaps when Ireland reunifies, Wales could develop a new relationship with England. Maybe uh, Welsh people will choose that in all freedom based on tactical economic considerations or solidarity. But my main point is that no one can pretend that constitutions or the form of state don't matter. Like that is at its core. That was at the core for radical independence was about what, what is Britishness? And what has that come to mean? And it's come to mean the centralization of power with the elites. For me, socialism in any country has to be a project of popular sovereignty where the people make the decisions about the economy. Uh, I think I look at Mick here, and we, we were both children of the 1960s. And a lot of what we want is what we actually had in the 1960s. Adequate council housing, and no exploitative contract, full employment, public ownership of the utilities. An awful lot of things existed in 1960, which Thatcher turned back and which Tony Blair allowed to continue. There's an awful lot which can be done by moving backwards to what actually happened uh, in, in those days. And the final point I want to make is that, remember, we look after people from the cradle to the grave. That is what socialism is about. Thanks, Mike. Mick um, mentioned about cooperatives. And, um, you know, I think that's a really really great idea and you know we need to look at that a lot more we've already got some great cooperatives in wales uh, that are already in existence but i think from a future wales getting people more involved directly involved especially in a small nation there's so much more scope for that i think that really is the way forward looking at that he also mentioned about nationalization and i think that's actually really important because hopefully we will become independent very soon um, and if we do become independent to the global capitalists Wales will be you know sort of like this great big pie ready to be sliced up all over again our natural resources are you know an immense source of wealth and um we want that wealth for the people. We need to nationalize our natural resources and ensure that the revenues that um, we can get we get from that is pumped back into the economy so that we can you know improve our country and improve the lives of ordinary people. I think um, Mike mentioned about from cradle to grave and I haven't heard that expression for a long time but it was one that I used to hear a lot when I was a child and that is really really important to know that you are part of a society that has your back from the minute you're born until the moment your head finally is rested forever you know you're, you you know you 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 pass and throughout your life that you are supported by your society and in turn you will support your society it's a beautiful idea and once we had it far more as a reality in our lives and it's ebbed away and we need to bring that back Thanks, Madhu. We've started to talk a little bit about the economy, so I'm going to move us on to the, the next 
question that I'd like to put to you all, um, and that is, how would an independent Welsh state resist the pressure of an international economic and political system that often demands the government adopt policies that work against ordinary people? Big question, but who would like to, to take it? I, I choose two things then at the same time. Uh, some countries, GP, GP, and that include countries like Belgium and Holland, is smaller than that, the large com companies' turnover. That's the difference. Power has changed dramatically between companies and countries. Smaller countries are exploited. They're buffeted by international capitalism. The smaller you are, the less power you have. They're bullied by the international bond market, which make them pay ex exceedingly high interest rates. And let, let's go back now, what actually happened? The European Union is the only place to take on the big American ICT companies because it's the only place power, powerful enough to do so. America is their company. China has its own companies. The only people big enough to take on those big American ICT companies has been the European Union. And you can look, look at small countries, look at the Icelandic banks. And what happened? What happened is that they didn't have enough money to save their banks, so their banks just went through. And that's where the difficulty of smaller, smaller countries have, is they don't have the, the wealth that exists. And just look at the exploitation of African countries for their raw materials. I think it's really important that we look at, look at this in terms of you're in a very difficult position if you're a small country. There are major challenges in terms of trying to develop a socialist uh, society economy within what is a global capitalist environment. But there are two sides to the to the coin. On the one hand, there are many things you can do at community, on a cooperative, and on a on a mutual uh, basis. So there are there are things that we clearly can do, and we are doing. Just like in terms of taking back into uh, public ownership the railways, because of the failure of the economic system currently to actually sustain them, because private companies won't sustain a public service uh, if it's not making money for them. So there are many things we can do. There are many things we can also do in terms of international engagement. For me, some of the key things that we do is not to get overwhelmed by the things we can't do, but the things that we clearly can do. And we've got to start looking at things like ownership of core core services, the internet. You know, what an incredible policy that Jeremy Corbyn came up with and said, yes, the internet is a basic service. Well, there is no reason why we can't have common ownership uh, of that. Uh, water, well, we're already halfway there, but the big one for many of us is going to be electricity, control over the grid, community energy, the energy that will power electric vehicles to clean the environment. And then the other big one, of course, is investment, the one that we're stuck with. But can I say just one, one point that I think is really important. We mustn't forget also that there is an enormous common interest that the, the, the modern societies require a sharing of sovereignty. We shared sovereignty when we were within the, uh, within the European Union and the UK was no less independent in that sense. Equally within Wales, we mustn't fear the idea of sharing sovereignty where there is common interest for our mutual and economic benefit. The question is deciding what do we need to share and on what terms and that is going to be the challenge. And that's why I think that the federalist uh, discussion is a really important one, because even if Scotland uh, becomes completely independent, the issues of trade, the issues of currency, finance, free movement, all of those things are going to involve a decision on sharing sovereignty. And it's getting the principles that underlie that that are going to be really important. Put simply, we should be more New Zealand or be more Estonia or be more Finland. But um, to give it uh, its fullest possible answer, no newly formed country can ignore the international order, as it were, of super states battling it out for capitalist economic power. However, in the evolutionary versus revolutionary socialism that we can face, independence gives us a peaceful revolutionary option to guarantee in a written constitution people over profit planet over profit we could also create institutions wholly separate from the same uk institutions which would need a certain level of cultural change training fine um it could ensure a sort of you know removal of those new neoliberal leftovers but that's possible it's not possible within the uk and it's not possible within a federal uk 
another point, we'd have to combine the latest economic theories of modern monetary theory, donor economics and more, so that we don't focus on GDP. Stop focusing on growth and wealth. Start focusing on people and planet. Can't do that in the UK. Not any kind of UK. Not possible. We can only do it by striking out on our own. Uh, another way that we could uh, we could really ensure that is to, you know, use the already established focus of the foundational economy combined with the well-being and the Future Generations Act and emphasize care work, celebrate our key workers rather than our bankers and property developers. Ensure that legislation and policy is, is in that way. Uh, and within that, we can take the fight to the international stage through the Future Generations Act, which is already respected, and perhaps, like I say, a green jobs guarantee. If we're independent, just like when our Welsh Gov uh, requested to be an Erasmus was turned down because we're not independent, we could fight neoliberalism. We could fight the UK's choices and the other uh, wider capitalist choices without one hand tied behind our back. You know, one hand tied behind our back is going to be the case until we're independent. And, and, and finally, as Welsh Labour does in candidate selection, which is a brilliant part of what we do, we should in the future and preferably in the new government uh, after this year's election legislate to combat the patriarchal systems we're inheriting a new constitution for example gives us an opportunity to make an intersectional constitution there are so many ways we can do it but the uk holds us back from doing it so i mean I, i'm starting from the point of the uk state uh, in its most united form under Thatcher and Blair was the ultimate plaything of global economic and political forces. Some of Europe's smallest states withstood neoliberalism far better than Britain. Um, and I think it was um, Mike maybe that, that mentioned Iceland. In 2008, after, when the financial crash happened and we had the aftermath, 47 bankers went to jail. That's all, 47. And half of them were from Iceland. I'm not going to say that Iceland is a wonderful state, but less than half of those other bankers single-handedly responsible in many ways for the financial crisis. Um, I mean, barely any uh, bankers in the European Central Bank went, went to jail. And I just wanted to come in to give this, I suppose, viewpoint, which is um, I, I don't agree with, with some of the other panellists on this because I'm under no illusions about the European Union and some of the other transnational trading regimes, what the EU did to Greece, what their, their current silence on Catalonia and so on should be a reminder that the forces of globalization can really work to suppress democracy in small nations. So it's not just like big corporate power, like US companies or, or whatever. We also have a problem in the European Union. The thing for me about the EU, it's not just about the bureaucracy of Brussels, but it's a tool that's used by domestic elites to evade democratic demands from their own population. And honestly, if I hear another politician talk about, oh, we can't nationalize this, or we can't do this because of state aid rules, this is what domestic elites hide behind the European Union. That's one of the weird things about globalization in general. States didn't really decline in power. When we saw in 2008, and with the coronavirus, states, domestic states can still intervene on a huge scale when they want to, but national elites have, elites have basically spent decades pretending that they're powerless to act, but acting powerless against globalization, which gave them control, um, gave them power to control our demands. Now, I'm not gonna tell people in Wales how to control those forces and your relationship with other British or European nations is ultimately down to you. All I would say is that for me, independence and is, is about having a clear sense of popular sovereignty. And that means, firstly, yes, maximizing the state's resilience against corporate globalization. But secondly, if I want an independent Scotland, I want it free from Brussels. I want it free from the control of the Bank of England. I want it free from NATO, um, because I want to have control over my state managers. They may be elected by the people, but I want them to be answerable to the people as well and not the European Union, um, nor any financial global corporation. 
Human flourishing is not guaranteed by the removal of any specific constraints. And in this instance, the specific constraints many of us see, it is Westminster. Okay, we don't, we don't feel Westminster works for us. Independence, for many of us, is the far more radical solution than, say, federalism, which to many of us just seems like a mere rearrangement of a pre-existing power structure. Um, it, it, it doesn't feel and seem fundamental enough, but I think it would be very naive to believe and to think that once Wales achieves independence, that the good life will automatically uh, just uh, spring into place because it won't. And it won't for many reasons. And one of them is because of the threat of global capital. So it's very, very important in our creation of our new nation that the interests of people are at the fore and our constitution will play an absolute pivotal role in that, guaranteeing people's rights um, and protecting them, guaranteeing the environment's rights as well. And um, I think on a practical level, you know, we would have to see um, workers' representatives um, at board meetings and workers' representatives far more involved in government decision-making. But I think an important point to mention is with regard to the economy, if we were a fully sovereign nation, we would have full control, um, economic control. And looking at our tax system would be a very, very um, important thing that we need to do. And simplifying our, our incredibly complex UK tax system down into a, you know, into a much more uh, simple form, which many countries do have a far more straightforward tax system than ours, and cutting out those tax, tax loopholes. You know, we want to attract investment, but we, you know, we can't be taken for a ride either. Thanks, Madhu. I'm going to move us on to another question. This is my favourite question of them all. And that is, how do we build popular support for socialist politics in Wales, especially with working class communities? This is probably the most important question because we talk about our specific views of what we think and uh, how the governance could change, society could change and so on. But the reality is you have to win over people. You have to win the hearts and minds of people for a change that they want. And that means that we've got to have a debate. I've tell you that the second paper of that's going to follow on shortly from the radical federalism one is going to be about the core for the fact that we actually have to have a people's convention. Not something that's determined in Westminster, a, you know, constitutional convention or a royal commission, but we actually have to have that debate within Wales ourselves as to what sort of future we want, what our relationship will be, etc., and the sort of governance and the principles that we want. Uh, it seems to me that we are not going to make real progress until we can have that debate, uh, a people's, a grassroots debate, and then identify the consensus around that, which will be the real momentum for, for change. Uh, and uh, I think one of the key things I hope will come out very soon is that we will actually start that process we will have that engagement and we will actually go over to the people and say what do you want etc these are the principles we think should underlie a new society a new wales uh, and these are the questions i think that need to be answered but it's got to be something that is taken over and owned by the people of wales themselves and not top down from political parties and politicians thanks mick we'll go to mike we need to talk the same language as the electorate British politics at the top often sounds like a group of posh people having a row. We need people to buy into our values and what, how their lives will get better. What most people want is a relatively secure and adequately paid job, a nice house, good educational health service, nice environment, and a future better than theirs for the next generation. If you're on zero-hour contracts, or more likely limited guaranteed hours contracts, at the minimum wage living in poor quality housing, what are we offering? We need to control the narrative but we're likely to have one election with five election pledges and that not one of them will address the above. We need to win over the party to really start talking about working class communities and what they need. One of the ways in which um, we can build popular support is 
through our media. I, I noticed someone said it in the chat and I had planned to mention that I've personally invested time and money in creating a new national newspaper for Cymru, which will be launching on March 1st, the National Wales. Uh, and it won't follow the clickbait nastiness of Wales Online. Um, I've also written for nation.cymru as much as time allows. And these new forms of media really help build our narrative on the left. But we also have to provide responses in person and on the ground that UK or Welsh government won't or can't respectively. Things like uh, props to Harriet and crew, uh, the ACORN helping ACORN Union helping renters. That's vital. It's absolutely important. Every time we create and maintain these sorts of services, if we can just remind people that this is socialism in action, we're halfway there. The NHS, socialism in action. More people need to say it. Socialism in action. I love saying it. I say it all the time. My family actually get quite annoyed with me saying it, but I say it. When Mark Drakeford fulfills his promise of a national care service, that will be socialism in action. We need a continuous kind of political education. Uh, there's a group called Indod uh, who are very good at this, radical independence, but continuous education. They recently put together protests at Westminster's treatment of farmers and of Welsh speakers in prisons. And of course, I would say that the only future-proof way to control the narrative here is to not reenact the same mistakes as Scottish Labour, is to get behind and to form the shape of a radical left independent Wales. You ask in your question, how do we build? Uh, but before I even thought about how we build, I thought why we need to. It's very hard because a lot of ordinary people feel completely locked out of the system. There's, there is great apathy. And a lot of people I talk to, a lot of people I work with, because I am a shop worker, um, a lot of people I know, a lot of people I get engage with on a day-to-day -day basis are the ordinary people that we need to be speaking to. And when I ask people, you know, well, what turns you off from socialism? And, you know, they simply say, well, nothing ever changes for us. Nothing ever changes for us. In fact, things are just getting worse. And that is a real challenge for us. And it's especially a challenge for us in Wales because we do have a Labour government. And I know devolution has kind of gone as far as it can go. And it's like it's government on a leash. It can't fully put in place what it wants to put in place for people. But it is, you know, it's really, really difficult. I think conversations being on the ground, talking to people, that is absolutely the first step. But I think that, we, you know, we knocking on someone's door every time an election comes, that isn't good enough, okay? People, they need to own this for themselves. So they can't be managed. We can't have their political elite saying, oh, these are some really good policies that are gonna change your life. We need to be educated ourselves by the working people, the ordinary people, and people who feel dispossessed by society. We need for them to tell us what they want, and we need to say, we're going to fight for this, and we are going to make this happen. You know, that, you know, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks, Maggie. I'm going to go to Kat. Uh, I wanted to cheer after you uh, finished talking there, because that's honestly so spot on. I remember when we started campaigning with Radical Independence, people told us that, well, I mean, first of all, the Labour Party in Scotland said that we'd all capitulated to nationalism, right? And we were being funded by like right-wing nationalists, all this mad stuff, none of it true. And they all, we were also told by like people in the Labour Party in Scotland that no one wanted to talk about imperialism, right? And they were right, nobody wanted to talk about that as a word, but did people want to talk about getting rid of Trident? Like not wasting uh, millions and millions of pounds every single year on nuclear weapons. Did people want to talk about the war in Iraq and how like that has destabilized our world and made it less safe? People wanted to talk about those sorts of things. Like that shouldn't be any surprise. Now, what we saw in Scotland and Ben touched on it was the Labour Party uniting forces with the Tories to campaign for better together. And that like really has you know, left, you know, what was one of the most entrenched and class-rooted parties in Europe to being irrelevant. Destruction of the, the Social Democratic Labour Party tradition in Scotland is really quite 
is something I mean that's similar to Wales you know Scotland hasn't voted for a Conservative government continues to get them turns out the way the electoral system is fixed that, that Scottish votes very very rarely change the colour of government but I think that the, the key point for for me on this is that what I've I've noticed occasionally in Scotland um, and in other parts of the UK is that something very similar was happening around Brexit with Labour um, as did with independence. I would hear the kind of like Labour view that, you know, anyone voting to leave the European Union, anyone voting for Scottish independence, you don't understand this, you're only hurting yourself, this isn't in your self-interest, this isn't going to work. And what that basically said was that that people didn't really know what they were doing. So when people are voting on independence, when they're voting on the European Union, these questions might be badly informed or misinformed, but what it's saying is that people want to talk about politics. It might just be in a different type of language or a different type of setting. I also, I just feel that sometimes in professional political organisations, there's a lot of talk of, you know, listening exercises and re-engagement with the working class. But I think that they miss the point because when people have consistently demanded conversations about politics, um, when they demand accountability in politics, and when, you know, in 2014 in Scotland, for the first time in my life, my vote meant something. My vote had never meant anything before because it didn't make any difference. Like, so th at the root of all of that, like means that if people want to talk about politics, then we have to talk about politics. It doesn't matter what the conversation is. At the root of a lot of these things is a revolt against alienation. It's about distrust. We all have to listen to that. People aren't going to trust proposals to like expand the state or introduce a UBI if we're not talking to them like at the point that they're at. You've got to listen when people want to talk about politics instead of just trying to like immorialate them with payoffs. Um, so the questions of like democracy and accountability um, and kind of anti-establishment politics, I think, are central to this for me. Thanks, Kat. Would it be possible for Labour in Wales to disentangle itself from UK Labour? Well, uh, funny, this is a, an ongoing debate that we've been having recently. Uh, and it's this, we can't credibly at the moment support the concept of the decentralization of power, uh, federalism, confederalism, whatever, but at the same time to have a party that is being run centrally and increasingly centralist. So I'm my, my view is I think the Labour Party should become a combination of independent Labour parties. Uh, I think there would obviously be a common social democratic, you know, the second international uh, link, etc. in terms of cooperation and how that would work would be complicated. But I think that is an innovative inevitable development and I think that is a debate that is probably going to start over the course of the coming months and it'd be a very difficult debate let's be honest about it but I think it is inevitable that there has to be political decentralization as well in a, in a proper and the full sense uh, if we really believe in the decentralization of power uh, within the governance of the UK. If Scottish Labour had more autonomy would they be doing as badly as they are now? I would argue not. And one of the reasons that Welsh Labour have managed to do so well and, and pivot and change over the course of 20 to 30 years is because they've had slightly more autonomy and certainly so many of their members have felt more autonomous and acted autonomously uh, to you know, push forward and lead various things. So it's great to hear and I would absolutely push for uh, more of a sort of sister party relationship between all the different Labour parties of the UK and beyond. Very briefly, I agree entirely what Mick said. Of course, we used to have it, and we might still have it, with the SDLP in Ireland, who were a sister party to the Labour, the Labour Party in, in the, on, on mainland UK, but were and, and voted and were part of it, but it fitted, it fitted together. Um, so there's no difficulty in doing that, and I think we need to have a Welsh Labour Party as soon as possible to show that we're not just a part of London. Uh, Madhu? At the moment, uh, we've all seen in the press Keir Starmer with his new sort of uh, flag-bearing politics, okay, and 
for a lot of Welsh people and a lot of Welsh people who are now coming over to the idea of Welsh independence, seeing um, Keir Starmer embrace um, the British flag and sort of a unionist stance, it, it almost feels quite threatening to um, these Welsh voters. And, you know, that sort of idea of, well, who... Welsh Labour now you know do they take the same stance do we still vote for them you know it is quite confusing I think a lot of Welsh voters uh, that I speak to and a lot of people I know who aren't even Labour uh, voters they do very much see Welsh Labour as distinct and different uh, from UK Labour but that does need to be retained and so it's a very good question because everything that the previous speakers have said, you know, yes, I think maybe, I don't know whether they put that to the Welsh Labour members, I'm not sure, but I think um, I've heard quite a lot of people say recently that the Conservatives are becoming the Make Wales England party, and that is what we want to avoid with people perceiving as Welsh Labour moving in that same direction with this sort of Union Jack, uh, you know, waving a scenario that's going on with uh, the British politicians. Welsh Labour stands for and is for Welsh people, and we need to be clear on that. It is still truly shocking to me that the, the Labour Party in Scotland is now relegated in a third place in those um, the upcoming elections, they're polling in third place. And that's just such a, a shocking turnaround. And I think that there's real, real warning signs there um, for the Labour Party in Wales about how to approach a potential referendum and actually speaking to that democratic deficit that I mentioned before. Um, so the next question that we are going to pose is, is size and economic power a relevant factor in the debate over Welsh independence? No, very simply. The UK just signed a trade deal with Albania. Albania, a country who has a population 2.1 million, I think it is, whereas Cumbria has 3.4 million and a, a, an economy of uh, something like a third of our size. No, size does not matter. I and mean, I know a lot of people used to say this all the time, but size really doesn't matter. And I cannot say this enough. In fact, if we look at somewhere like Estonia, Estonia, since becoming independent, has had a radical change and a, and a really interesting, uh, I, I, I used to work in Estonia as well, and, and I love Estonia for all the various reasons that it, it is unique. Um, it is so fascinating to look at how a, a small, innovative nation does things differently. And even if we want to talk in base, horrid, capitalist, economic terms, over the last 25 years, um, they have rocketed by not being uh, a periphery of the USSR. They've done so much in, in so many different ways and they've done it for themselves and their data, their use of data as someone who's um, uh, one of his jobs is literally in computing. Uh, trust me, it's, it's fascinating. And they've only been able to, they invented Skype. They literally invented Skype. The people of Estonia invented Skype. They're tiny and they're incredible and we could be too. Uh, and they've only been able to do it since being independent. Yeah, listen, I, I'm actually not really very impressed with the uh, the trade deal uh, uh, argument uh, for a whole variety of reasons I won't go into now. But listen, the, the size, size doesn't uh, determine whether or not you can determine your own uh, future and your, your own affairs. It does determine how you might have to relate with other countries, with other people, um, and smaller countries uh, do work far more collectively together because of issues of common security, common sharing, and so on. So it does change the political dynamic, and it does mean that uh, the, the smaller you are, the, the more important actually looking for consensus and shared sovereignty actually begins to, to become. But it doesn't determine at the end of the day whether people can make that decision. And if people make that decision, what's important is that they understand the consequences and what the challenges are to, in order to be able to overcome them. What would an independent Wales do about its borders, particularly that with England on matters such as market access or free movement? That's an easy one for everyone. <laughs> Who would like to go first? Sorry to jump in. It's just that I have uh, looked into this quite a lot. And as someone who literally lives uh, five minutes from the border, it is, is a pressing issue for me. One of the great examples we can look at here is Finland. Finland is a massively different uh, 
complete organization of, of foreign policy and unions uh, compared to its massive, strong, dangerous, easterly neighbor, Russia. There are huge ways it can be done. The important part of it is that we look at those examples and we do it with sensitivity. We don't ignore the people of the border like me and we don't ignore the people on the other side of the border like where I was born, over there in England and the marches in general as we call them here. So literally it can be done and it can be done properly but it has to be done sensitively and with a proper negotiation. I don't think Finland is actually a really good comparator or an example on that. Uh, this is a really important question for Wales, particularly the populations in the northwest, uh, northeast, and the south, south, uh, southeast of of Wales and it is one of those areas where you have to actually have engagement with your neighbours you actually have to have agreements for example the number of people who cross the border to work whether it be one way or the other where do they pay their tax uh, what about employment you know there's a whole series of questions there that do require so the so we have to ha actually start developing an understanding of what common agreements would be what the common interests what the mutual interests are so we can identify that because those would be fundamental to, to the economy and society within wales and also would be the questions that if people are being asked in terms of what future do you want wales to be what shape it should be those will be some of the questions they answer and at the moment we're not we're not answering those questions we're not developing the, the thoughts around them to the to the depth that i think we need to do Mick, you say it's not it's not thought through well enough. People have been doing this for 10 years. It's just the Labour Party has not listened. How do you pay tax? If you work in England, how do you pay tax where you, where you live? On what terms? You pay it where you live. The corporation you might work for pays it wherever they're headquartered. So you have to have then a mutual agreement between yes. the two areas, yes. which means you have to share a degree of sovereignty because you have to have a means of adjudicating and administering. Yes, of course. No, That's fine. I don't have the experience that uh, the politicians on the panel have, okay? My understanding is that a process like this, you know, it isn't conducted overnight. There is a transitional, transitional period. And that transitional period lasts from anything of a minimum to two to a maximum to five plus years. And in that period, all of this might that these things are sorted out and they should be sorted out peaceably because what we are looking at with the breakup of the UK, it wouldn't just be Wales, you know, departing. It would be the, all of the nations, United Ireland, an independent Scotland, an independent Wales and an independent England. And we are going to need to continue to live on the same island together to cooperate to work together we don't want any hostility between the nations nothing about independence is anti-england anti-scotland anti-anything i know that uh, to the politicians on the panel this seems you know sort of like very airy fairy talk but we want this to happen but we want it to happen peaceably and I think if all partners involved all four nations involved sit down together and work this out in a peaceful way it can be done. We spent the last hour an hour ago we were talking about how much how, how England dominate don't you think England going to have more the bigger partner in the arguing about what trade deal we have it's a bit like when when britain tried to uh, debate with the european union there was only ever going to be one within the bigger one and the final thing is if we are dismantling uh, britain can i just put in a few words in for an ancient kingdom called diehard bath because although you say you're anti 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 london an awful lot of my constituents are anti-cardiff who think cardiff get everything everything goes to cardiff and we, we have a very centralized welsh state based around cardiff I'm not. I'm not an expert on on any of the questions on taxation on policy. If people remember or maybe weren't aware at the time, the SNP put together a document in advance of the the independence referendum called the White Paper that came out um, prior to the vote in 2014. I spent a year, um, me and my other comrades in the radical independence campaign, going around the country, disagreeing with it. Right. I think that the point has to be that there's got to be loads of different like organizations and voices for independence 
because that is actually that's the picture of a country do you know what I mean like my interest is getting a working class agenda on the table and fighting for that in the event of a yes vote. I'm sure that there's people in the SNP who have another agenda. In that white paper, you had like like low corporation tax and things that people on the left would just would, would never subscribe to. So there's there's lots of different things. I think that there's a danger in becoming really prescriptive about what that would mean. I remember really vividly seeing a front page in the Financial Times magazine, which was about how people in Scotland would be financially worse off. And that was the beginning of the real project fear that came through the mainstream media was, if you vote for independence, you'll lose your job, you'll lose your home, um, your income will go down, your mortgage will be unstable, your pension will like, decrease. And 45% of the Scottish electorate voted for it anyway because it was never about like just material economic conditions. It was about democratic control. So all I'm saying is that I just, I think there's a danger in getting really caught up in the detail and examples and like the minutiae of it. That's someone's job within the movement, yeah. But I think like for me as a socialist, my job was to go out and speak to other people and convince them that by voting yes to independence, it was a chance, it was an opportunity to control our own destiny and to have that future available to us, something that's not available as part of the British state as it's currently formed. I'm going to put one last thing to you folks. How do we prevent the right and people of bad faith running the independence campaign at the same time resist attempts to divide us? I, I, I just think that the, the, the examples we've had in anti-racism within Wales and uh, across the UK, Scotland, Northern Ireland and so on, uh, have actually shown that we can actually work on this on this issue. It's, it's a question of what your fundamental principles are. I think if, for example, the independence movement were to go down a road and start being engaged by politics that were unacceptable, it would actually destroy that part of it anyway. For me, the success of any movement, whether it be and whether it be independence, the decentralization, self-determination or whatever, is ultimately its success is dependent on the quality of the principles that people can actually unite around it. Uh, and I agree with you, though, the hard right, the extreme right is uh, a, a danger across. We've seen it growing across uh, uh, Europe and internationally, uh, and we only fight it by actually being clear about our principles, really, of common humanity and common citizenship. The independence movement is inclusive and there are people from all uh, the all sides of the political spectrum that are going to support independence for their own particular reasons and when we come to shape our new nation independence will fail if it's only shaped in one vision okay so this really will be a test on how people do come together how we do listen to each other and how we do move forward as well and um so i just wanted to make that uh, distinction between you know when we're talking about the right we're not always you know we're not always like mention the far right because there are people who are more on the right of politics who do support independence and um you know movements like yes Cymru you know they're very inclusive and you know they say well you know if you support independence you support us you know so you, you know everybody's welcome just wanted to make that just distinction there that uh, we've got to not fall into the trap of thinking that everybody who is on the right of politics is necessarily, uh, you know, going to be a threat. Yeah, um, I think it's a really important question and it's something that has to be considered and, and all the points that everyone on the panel has said already are really important as well. Um, I'd argue that Labour can really, really help here. Uh, you know, we've been uh, in Labour for New Wales, we've been pushing for Labour to get involved in the independence movement. If they lead with a progressive position, then they can tackle that far right problem they can tackle it in a brilliant manner and i'd also argue that though yes camry is what you might call in theory terms a liberal nationalist group who you know welcome everyone and and push on that kind of liberal united nations self-determination perspective groups like Ian Dodd and labor for indie wales push a, a left-wing progressive inclusive perspective and and we want like madhu said to you know welcome everyone and ensure there's a constitution which guarantees rights you know these sorts of things can tackle the far right at the very beginning, because if you're involved in that conversation and if Welsh Labour got involved, my plea to our MSs, if Welsh Labour got involved, then you could have 
a brilliant lead in the conversation. You could forge that narrative and you could do it so that the far right never gets a look in, not even a simple bit. And that's so important. If we could do that, we could, we could stop it right at the beginning. And I would love for that to happen. I'd like to say just three very brief things. The first one is the two referendums we've had on devolution have been won by Labour support and Labour campaigning. Without Labour support and Labour campaigning, neither of them would have been won. The second thing is, which I think is equally as important, is the far right. They're more interested in trying to make Wales Western England than they are in, in, uh, in separatism or uh, independent Wales. And we have a far right problem the people who's what BNP and my constituency are 540 of them. The three, two and a half thousand or three thousand who voted for UKIP have not gone away. And they are a hard right anti labour uh, group. And unfortunately, a lot of them are working class voters. A lot of them live on our council estates. A lot of them feel that nobody's done anything for them for any length of time. And therefore, they'll give somebody else a chance who give them simple solutions of withdraw from the European Union, end uh, immigration, and everything will, be, everything will be better. And the third point is that we need to stick together as a party. That we may have differences, in fact, we may have substantial differences, but I probably have more differences with some of the people I sit with in the Labour group in the Senate than I do with the people sat in here. But we all have to work together and we, we are one party. Don't we know it, Mike? <laughs> so, on that note, um, thank you so much for everyone for coming. It's been quite a long session, but the time has flown for me. This has been a really fantastic talk, and hopefully it's the beginning of lots of talks that we need to have on the left around the constitutional future, particularly in, in Wales and Scotland, etc. But I just want to say a big thank you to, first of all, Mike Hedges, Mick Antony, Cat Boyd, Madhu Davis, and Ben Gwalchmai. Thank you all so much. Um, so I just want to very quickly hand over to the World Transformed. Uh, thanks, Harriet. Um, yeah, and thanks, Harriet, for chairing. It was a brilliant, brilliant job. Um, it was a, a really great session, guys. And um, for people who, who aren't aware, the World Transformed is co-hosting the event with... Um, um, Momentum Cardiff. We're a political education festival that happens every year, um, socialist um, education and arts and culture festival. But we also um, are trying to do other things to, to build political education. Thanks, TWT. Just before we end, if you've enjoyed this, then yeah, please do consider Momentum and WLG. And a big thanks to the Cardiff and the Vale branch who organised and facilitated this event. Well done, facilitators. So yeah, deal come out, everyone. Um, thank you so much. Thanks to the World Transformed and Cardiff and Vale Momentum for giving us the chance to broadcast this discussion with you. If you're interested in the Welsh independence debate, or Welsh politics more broadly, please check out the rest of our podcast feed. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.